Absolutely gorgeous, you all. Thank you. You know, when uh, we uh, looked at this transition, just had a a, a sense that uh, in our our new vision, our, our seven-year vision in 2025, that there's a particular person or moment that the Lord was bringing, and, and that was our prayer as we started our search, um, that, uh, that we wouldn't bring the person that I strategically thought was the best person. Uh, tried to get out of the way, and... Uh, and uh, just said, Lord, I want, I want your person. And I just have to share, like, feels like Jedediah is, uh, is the person, is the family for our new day. So just a, just a moment of joy uh, for me. But also a moment of sadness because we are driving my daughter, Cambria, to school tomorrow. So I'm trying to work on all of that stuff. So uh, let's, uh, let's pray so I can stay focused on the message. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your guidance and your mercy. Thank you for your fresh new work in our midst, that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, would you um, take this parable and this brilliant message on your part and help me not to get in the way. Um, Would you preach your word to us today? In your name we pray. Amen. An 11-year-old, Ruben Martinez, he had been at a fundraiser with his mom, Rose, and um, they were driving home from this fundraiser, and they saw at their local Walmart, the Walmart they had just been shopping at yesterday, um, they uh, were driving by and they saw first responders. There were, was something going on at their Walmart. They got home and turned on the news and it was the mass shooting um, in El Paso, Texas. And they'd learned that uh, uh, the broken, the disillusioned, uh, injured dozens and took the lives of 22. As you can imagine for Reuben especially, 11 years old, but it happens to all of us, this shock and the dismay, he was filled with anxiety and some fear, his mom said. And in fact, he told his mom he did not want to leave for a while, wondered if instead of going grocery shopping in the future that they could have their, their groceries delivered to them so they wouldn't have to leave their home. About a day later, as uh, Reuben and his mom were at home, the, there was a turn and he came to his mom and said, Mom, I wonder if there's something that we could do to help. 
And the mom said, that would be great. Why, why didn't you think about this and process and brainstorm some ideas? And so Reuben did. He, uh, he went in his room and came out about 30 minutes later, and he had a list of ideas that he and his mom might be able to affect some good in the community. On the top of the list was this, what's called hashtag El Paso Challenge. Do we have a picture of Reuben? There he is, El Paso Challenge. And on the, t- uh, on the top of his brainstorming, he said, I wonder if I could challenge the, the people of El Paso. Lost 22 lives. Wonder if could challenge the people of El Paso to do 22 acts of goodness or kindness in memory of the people lost. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a a beautiful, this 11-year-old who moves from that place of overwhelming anxiety and fear to could we do something. So he and his mom, rather than continue to stay uh, hidden in their home. There you go. Hello. Um, They decided to do their first act of kindness. They went to the local Taco Bell and brought Taco Bell to all the first responders that were, were still at Walmart. His mom, Rose, is a school administrator, and she was hoping that if she posted it to uh, social media, that perhaps their school would get this idea and take the challenge of 22 acts of kindness. So she posted it, and it did indeed go through the school. In fact, it began to go across the country. I don't know if you have all have seen this before. In fact, it went all the way to Europe, heard that in Germany, uh, there also, you have folks taking the El Paso challenge in Germany, which is kind of fun. These 22 acts of kindness. I think the Lord looked down on little Reuben with great delight. That, that he was filled with that sense. And, and when I heard about this and I was reading about this, I had, my first thought was, he stole my thunder. I've been preparing something along these lines. That was my first fleshly thought. And then my second thought was, there is something divine. There's something sacred in this activity, in this action, in this challenge, that there's something more that the Lord wants to do, that, that this shouldn't be simply seen as something temporary, as so often social media and news cycle, right? It, it happens, people talk about it, and it comes, and then it goes. But there was a sense that I had when I saw and read about this, that there was something more. This wasn't a a moment of quaint sentiment. This wasn't just a a feel-good moment, but that the Lord could do something deeper, wanting to do something deeper in both me and our church and beyond. 
In fact, I, I think part of that is, I think sometimes we can be guilty of not recognizing the power of simple kindness. I, I think that we can pass over and we can think about kindness and miss the potential that kindness lays before us. A power in this broken world, yes, but also a power in our own soul and who we are and how we live. I had mentioned last week as we started our series, Empowered Kindness, I had mentioned that I had been praying from a place, actually I would say a couple of years, this sense of disappointment that I have. This disappointment that though I have the most incredible, life-changing message in the world, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it dwells within me, that I, I carry it around, right, in a, in a clay jar, this idea that I've got this incredible message that will transform lives and change the world, that I don't share it more that I don't share more when I, when I see a moment of brokenness or hurt or pain, that that, that message doesn't flow from me more. I, I've had that sense of, Lord, help me share this incredible message that can transform the world more. And also part of my dissatisfaction has been with our congregation. Is it okay to tell you that? And in fact, I wish our congregation had a more vibrant witness than it does. And I wish I had better leadership skills to lead it in that direction. And so in praying for that, praying from that sense of dissatisfaction, I mentioned last week that he captured my heart and soul with this passage of scripture. Yeah, I don't think I put it in the outline, but again, listen to it from Titus again, where the Apostle Paul says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. We do have Titus. This idea that the, the actual love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God came in flesh and blood on this earth. And his name was Jesus. And he came not because we deserved it, not because of the, the righteous things that we have done or do, but because of his mercy, the mercy of God, so filled and moved and shaped and sent his son. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I was captured by that. There was something in that verse, this idea 
of kindness, that sense that he wanted me. Do you ever carry scripture sometimes? You, you, you know there's a depth there. You know that there's something that God wants to take that scripture and work more deeply in you. And he said, carry that idea for a while. To experience Jesus is to experience the kindness of God. To be Jesus to someone, as we talk about, right, as a Christian cliche, to be Jesus to someone is, is actually to be the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God to others. Last week, we, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son, one of those parables that really we should meditate on on a regular basis, preach on it, at least on a yearly basis, right? Where you, where you take that in. And we saw or heard, I hope you heard, this invitation, a fresh invitation from the Lord to be a part of the divine search that God is on and that we have a role to play in that divine search. We're not called to sit in the stands, but to be on the field and share this incredible message. Did some of you hear that invitation to the divine search? Yes, yes, okay. We're gonna look at another parable in relation to this. To pay attention to what God wants to do through Titus. It's another classic parable that I would say is worthy of meditation on a regular basis. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at the parable of the the good Samaritan and and allow it to sink in. But by way of setting up this parable, as as you look for Luke 10, there's Bibles located in the seats in front of you if you want to have that. Uh, Bring that up. Um, I wanted, I thought of a a video, a a clip from a movie by way of setting up this parable, something a fresh take. Anyone uh, remember the movie I, Robot with Will Smith? And he, uh, and, and the doctor, he, it seems like he commits suicide, but um, draws uh, Will Smith's character as a police officer and there's a hologram and he's interacting with the doctor as a hologram and the doctor is trying to get him to ask the right questions. Play that video. Hello, doctor. Everything that follows is the result of what you see here. Is there something you want to tell me? I'm sorry, my responses are limited. I must ask the right questions. Why did you call me? I trust your judgment. Normally these circumstances wouldn't require a homicide detective. But then our interactions have never been entirely normal. Wouldn't you agree? That's ever. Is there something you want to say to me? I'm sorry. My responses are limited. You must ask the right question. Why would you kill yourself? That detective. Is the right question. That detective is the right question. In this parable, I want you to notice, maybe you've read this before, I want you to notice from a fresh way, there's a number of questions that are asked in this parable. Would you pay attention 
to the questions. Luke 10, starting at verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty good question, right? Probably in that context and perhaps in our context, it's the most important question, right? It's the million-dollar question that he asks of Jesus. It should be no surprise that Jesus responds with a... With two questions. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Do this and you will enter eternal life. Do this and you'll be living life in the kingdom of God. Boy, if the expert in the law would have just sat down right at that moment, it would have been good for him. But it's good for us that he does not. He stays standing. In fact, Luke tells us, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus another question. And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a common trip. It's about 17, 18 miles. Altitude would go from Jerusalem to Jericho, so it was kind of down. There was, it was a rocky trip, so it was a place that bandits and robbers could hide out. It was known as a dangerous road, so Jesus is kind of bringing the mind of his listeners to that journey, that dangerous journey. It says, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest, Jewish context, descendant of Aaron, served the temple. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, one of the 12 tribes, assisted the priests. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. I wonder if the teacher of the law thought, oh, this is when he's going to really pump up the laity. He's going to bring just a regular old Jewish guy down to help his friend. But a Samaritan... Jesus, he doesn't go with the Jew. He goes with the Samaritan that were considered half-breeds, incomplete in their theology and understanding of the law. Not fully Jewish, only partly. 
A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Love the details that Jesus includes. The next day, he took out two denarii, probably two days of wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, probably over and above. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. That is the right question. You see, what Jesus was doing is oftentimes questions in his context. If you're the questioner, you're controlling the conversation. That that, that was tradition, that uh, a, a rabbi who is discipling his disciples would seek to ask good questions and bring that answer out. If you're asking the question, you're controlling the conversation. The expert in the law was trying to control the conversation, but of course, Jesus, in a brilliant way, he flips the question he, he changes the question, and in a sense, let's look at what he is seeking to do with both the expert in the law and his, and his audience and for us. What he's doing is he's trying to challenge or remove or take away some wrong attitudes and wrong questions. He's challenging our hearts in a particular way that's intriguing. In fact, I think, I don't know if any of you could relate, I can relate to the expert in the law, right? There's a, isn't there a simplicity to the first and second greatest commandment, right? It's love God, love your neighbor, do it. Go, go, there's this beautiful simplicity. It's not complex. You can understand it. And yet I have a tendency to say, what does that mean? How do I live that out? Are there some exceptions to the rule? I mean, obviously that can't be that, especially that second as, as we live in this broken world. Are, are there any exceptions? How do I really know who is my neighbor. I think what Jesus is trying to do is challenge that very human nature of us to say, do we get to exclude anyone? What if my neighbor is a Green Bay Packers fan 
and I'm a Bears fan. Do I, do I still live that out? What if my neighbor is a Republican and I'm a Democrat? What if my neighbor is a huge fan of, of President Trump and he wears the hat and I'm a never-Trumper? What about that, Jesus? What if my neighbor is a white nationalist and I'm black or Hispanic or Indian? What if my neighbor is gay? and I'm straight? What if my neighbor is poor and rough and ragged around the edges and I try and live my life with an esteem and a respect? What if my neighbor is wealthy and, and prideful and materialistic and I can see it and I'm from humble means? What if my, my neighbor is Muslim or worse yet, atheist? And I'm a Christian. What if my neighbor is simply annoying and as we all know, I'm not? <laughs> I think to all of those questions, Jesus says, Wrong question. That's not the question I'm inviting you to ask. That, that's not even the direction of thinking or perspective. No. I'm trying to get you to ask a different kind of question. Look at verse 36 again. What a different Question, which of these three do we think was a neighbor? That's Jesus' drop, drop the mic moment, right? He has so many of them in the Gospels, right? He just bamp and walks away. Yes, that's the question. That's the second greatest commandment. You don't ask these others. You're not looking for exceptions. You see, what the expert in the law was doing and what we can often do is we hear the second commandment and then here's what we do. We assess the worthiness of our neighbors. Yes? We say, do they really deserve me to be kind to them? Do I, do I like them? I, I'm not sure if I like them or not. Do I agree with them? Do I see the things the way they see them? Do I agree with their lifestyle? No, I don't know. Perhaps I'm going to pull away and hope for the best. You see, Jesus is saying, no, wrong question. One of my favorite pastors Rick Warren said this, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. If you disagree with someone's lifestyle or beliefs or political party 
or fill in the blank all of those things that you must demonize them. You must justify why you disagree with them. You must separate from them. And Rick Warren is saying, that's a lie. That's not from Jesus. So the second is that to love someone's the second lie. To love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Rick Warren says, both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You don't have to compromise convictions to love. You're not supposed to. We're not supposed to assess the worthiness, the righteousness. We're not supposed to see economic status or righteousness status or color of skin. We're not supposed to say, are they worthy of the love I've got? No, we're not. Who taught us that we compromise what we believe by loving and being in close association with others? Partly, you know who taught us that? The experts in the law and the Pharisees and those who would judge. You see, Jesus was the same. He experienced that. They said, they said look at him. He's associated, he can't be good. He can't be from God. God, he's loving them. And Jesus said, you're understanding it wrong. You're asking the wrong questions. Now, um, another way to understand it is Jesus removes the lens of judgment or he's wanting to remove the lens of judgment from us and add kindness and love. I want to focus in on, on two Greek words real briefly, real quickly. Um, the first one comes in verse 33 when it says, the good Samaritan took pity on him. It's a Greek word. It's really fun to say. This Greek word is splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. Look at your neighbor and say, Splagnizomai. That's right, you're talking Greek. Isn't that sweet? Say it one more time. Splagnizomai. Doesn't that sound a little Russian to you, right? Splagnizomai. Right? And what that means is it means to show compassion, to experience. Actually, it means to be moved at the gut level, to, to feel something in your bowels, not physically, not digestively, but to feel compassion and love and kindness. In, in that perspective, it's the, 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 the seat of your emotions, the seat of love. What the good Samaritan was doing is he felt, he saw, he didn't go to the other side like the Levite and the priest. He saw, he recognized someone in need, bruised and battered, and he is moved at the depths of his guts. 
and he loved him. And when Jesus finally inserts the right question and the expert in the law is out-dueled with good questions, look at verse 37. He responds with this. The one, which of these was a good neighbor? The one whom had mercy on him. That, that word mercy is also uh, a Greek word I want you to say to your neighbor, but it's more elegant, Elias. Elias, look at your neighbor and say Elias. So you can, you got splagnizomai and Elias, right? Elias simply means this, mercy and kindness. Good will towards other. A different word the same point. The Lord is inviting us not to discern the worthiness. Is this person worthy of my kindness and love and goodness? He's saying, I want you to feel the depths of the brokenness in this world. And then be the goodness, be the good neighbor, be the kindness of the Father. I was thinking how powerful and poignant the moments of kindness have been in my life. I can still remember moments of kindness when I was in grade school and I was struggling with friends or with school. There's the teacher that came along and, and brought a measure of kindness. I, I still remember the face, that fifth grade teacher. I still remember the, the, the time when I was experiencing spiritual lostness and questions. I couldn't, and over the phone, my, my sister and my mother listened and prayed. They didn't have the answers. They just loved me. Remember the, the moment when I, when I lost my parents, in particular my father, when, when my friends expressed just their presence. Again, not looking for answers, but remember the kindness. Like, what is, the, what is it about that kindness that so resonates with my soul? And I believe it's because it's the essence of God. It's who God is. And it's how he's wanting us to live and be known in this broken world. Real brief, briefly, would you think with me about Jesus' emphasis of kindness and compassion and mercy? I think we, we miss it so easily. Think back to the prodigal son, the story we looked at last week. It said, but while he, the prodigal son, was still a long way off, his father, who did the father represent? God. Saw him, and he was filled with Splagnizomai. Same word. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, 
and kissed him. So interesting that Jesus would put that in there. When Jesus would see people like the widow of Nain who lost her only son, the the blind man yelling out, the rich young ruler asking the same question, the crowds that were out a shepherd again and again were told, like in Luke 7, 13, when he saw her, the widow of Nain, his heart was overflowed with, guess what? Spagnizomai. Jesus felt it deeply. Jesus taught on compassion and kindness, and he modeled it again and again. He invites it us for it not to be temporary or momentary, but a way we live. In fact, in another instance, when he's, he's being challenged by religious leaders again, it says on hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire Elias. This is from Hosea 6.6, 6, God speaking to his people. I desire Elias. You know what the Hebrew word for Elias is? Chesed. I desire grace and mercy and kindness. You're so focused on being religiously right. You're missing the desire of the heart of the Father, which is Elias, which is Chesed. Learn what that means. Wondered if I'm more guilty of being religiously right than being filled with compassion for my fellow man and woman and child. I felt like the Lord has been challenging me to simply live the second greatest commandment on a daily basis. Again and again and again. Returning to it again and again and again. Now, I told you that uh, that little Reuben stole my thunder, right? So I wasn't going to do this, but... I thought of the challenge. I don't think I've ever done a hashtag in my life, right? So, but, but this hashtag, I just want to give you a visual. I just want to give you a thought. And I want to challenge you. I'm not challenging you to a particular number or amount of days. Maybe if love your neighbor as yourself was the third most important commandment, then I'd put a time limit on it. Maybe if it was the, the fourth most important commandment, yeah, then I could say, let's choose a number, right? But, but really, I, I think this challenge is a, a lifestyle. It's not momentary or temporary, but he's saying, when you do this, you begin to get to the heart of God. Uh, maybe this is it. Maybe... Maybe the source, my, my, my sadness 
that every day my life is not connected to this divine search. Maybe that sense that I'm missing it every day may be the starting place is simple kindness. And so it was several months ago that I said, all right, I'll take the challenge, Jesus. I don't think he actually used the word challenge. I said, I'll do it. So I'm not gonna do it legalistically. I'm not gonna, but could there be, I, I would look each day just for an opportunity to speak a kind word, to, uh, to help someone in need. And if I, if I get through a whole day and I, I don't find that moment, the very least I could do is pray for someone. Isn't that an acceptable act of kindness, right? So, so I, I don't miss a day to do some kind of act of kindness. One of the easiest things has been for me to ask uh, you know, over lunch or, or dinner. You know, if I feel led, if, if it's the right moment, sometimes it's not, but just to ask the waitress or the waiter, hey, we're gonna pray for our meal. Is there any way we can pray for you? A couple of weeks ago, we were walking. I, I was meeting a, a friend and I was, uh, the hostess was walking and, you know, just she was making polite conversation. She was young. How are you doing? How's your day going? Yeah, that's good. And she was a college student and she was looking for college. I was sharing about my daughter back and forth. And so we just kind of engaged a little bit. I have no idea if she's a Christian. She's just doing her job. She sits me down. We continue to talk a little bit. And I just felt loud. I said, hey, I'm going to pray for my meal. Is there any way I can pray for you? She starts crying. Like I didn't even get a chance to like pray for her. It wasn't like this awesome prayer that she was so moved to tears. It was just the the request. I think that was the kindness of God. Just touching her life. I don't know if it touched the anxieties and the fears, but just prayed. We're praying over daughter's car and one of her friends was there and she was leaving and and, uh, and I just felt led to, to pray for my daughter's friend. Right? That just trying to follow the spirit. In fact, the, the fullness of the challenge is one spirit-led act of kindness every day. We'll talk more about that. Friends, I believe that God is stirring this in my own heart and for our congregation. I've been waiting to talk to you about this. been waiting. I believe that he wants our lives connected with his divine search every day. And the E word, evangelism and witness, all of that can be super intimidating. But what a challenge to add kindness to your life every day. Isn't that a good challenge? And here's the interesting thing. 
I don't know if I've affected others nearly as much as I've been affected. It's a different kind of thing to walk into a restaurant and think, is this the moment I get to share God's kindness with someone? It's a different kind of thing to walk into the grocery store and rather than have fears or concerns or just about my day, to think, is this the moment that I could, that I could be kind? To, to walk into work and think, is there someone, a fellow coworker or a staff on my circumstance that, that just needs a kindness Buy him lunch or a kind word. So this is my challenge to you all is that you would join me in one spirit-led act of kindness every day and see the effect it has on your own hearts and souls and on the witness and testimony of this congregation. I'll put a time limit on it. When Jesus comes back. Is that good? You like that? All right. All right. Let's pray. Or we want to turn our hearts to communion. And take communion together. There's a particular verse I want to read to you. It's Romans 2 4. Just keep your eyes closed and listen to this verse in light of communion. Or do you show contempt? For the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not realizing that his kindness poured out is meant to change our lives, to live differently, to be transformed. Not simply forgiveness, but transformation. That as we receive his kindness through his broken body and shed blood, that that would fill us up and spill out in kindness and love to others. Amen. Do communion with intinction. That is, we have a station for each section at the appropriate time. Come to that and you take the the symbolic cracker and you, you dip it in the juice and you take it right there. I want to encourage you as you do that to think about Christ's sacrifice. Would you take in 
the kindness of God, the love of God. Let it fill your soul and then flow from you. It was the night that Jesus would not experience kindness from his closest friends, but betrayal, wounded. Yet despite that, he still took the bread and after giving thanks and blessing it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he took the cup. And he talked of a new covenant, a new relationship, a new intimacy with the Father that was filled with his, his mercy and his grace his forgiveness and kindness. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. For when we do this, we proclaim the Lord. We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the grace of God until his return. All is ready. The elders come forward. If you are a follower of Christ Jesus, then would you come? If you're not a follower of Christ and you want to be, all you need to do is say yes to Christ, to admit that you are a sinner that you've gone your own way and yet recognize that the cross is the grace of God, that the cross is the kindness of God and you can receive it this morning. Say yes to God. Forgive me, God. Fill me, God. I take it. Come, all is ready. I could read my daughter's mind. She thought I would be very dorky if I held this in front of you. So, we were babysitting a kindergartner and they wrote it. Is kindness ever wrong? To anyone, anyone. Would you walk this day? And every day, would you walk as clay jars, fragile as we are, with this treasure, with this gospel, with the kindness and grace and mercy of God right at the center of your soul, deep in your bowels, deep in your guts? And would you share it with a broken world, this world that struggles with hatred and racism and prejudice, this world that can be so harsh, 
would through your life people experience the kindness of God from you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.